0: Part 3 of Lord Tedric, by E. E. Smith. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. At the first assault on their king, Tedric with his sword, and Skyro with his hammer, had gone starkly berserk. Skyro was nearer, but Tedric was faster and stronger and had the better horse. Drigor he yelled thumping his steed's sides with his armored legs and rising high in his stirrups nostrils flaring the mighty beast raged forward and tedric struck as he had never struck before eight times that terrific blade came down and eight men and eight horses died then suddenly tedric never knew how it happened since Drigor was later found uninjured he found himself afoot no place for sword this but made to order for axe hence driving forward as resistlessly as though a phalanx of iron were behind him he hewed his way toward his sovereign thus he was near at hand when phagon went down so was doughty Skyro, and by the time the sarlonians had learned that sword nor axe nor hammer could cut or smash that gold-seeming armor fury personified was upon them tedric straddled his king's head skyro his feet and back to back two of lomar's mightiest arms masters wove circular webs of flying steel through which it was sheerest suicide to attempt to pass thus battle raged until the last armored foeman was down art sire? Tedric asked anxiously as he and Skyro lifted Fagon to his feet. "'Nay, my master's at arms,' the monarch gasped, still panting for breath, bruised merely, and somewhat winded. He opened his visor to let more air in. Then, as he regained control, he shook off the supporting hands and stood erect under his own power.' i fear me tedric that you and that vixen daughter of mine were in some sense right methinks i may be oh the veriest trifle out of condition but the battle is almost over did any escape none had tis well tedric i know not how to honour honour me no farther sire i beg hast honoured me already far more than I deserved, or ever will, or at least at the moment, there may be later, perhaps, that is, a thing—' He fell silent. "'A thing?' Fagon grinned broadly. "'I know not whether Roan will be overly pleased at being called so, but will be borne in mind nonetheless. Now you, Skyro, Lord Skyro, now and henceforth, and all your line—' lord of what i will not now say but when we have taken sarlo you and all others shall know my thanks sire and my obeisance said Shillin, with me to my pavilion i am weary and sore and would fain rest as the two lords of the realm so lately commoners strode away to do what had to be done neither of us feels any nobler than ever i know scyro said "'but in one way tis well, very well indeed. "'The Lady Tricey, eh? "'The wind does set so, then, as I thought. "'Aye, for long and long. "'It wondered me often, your choice of the Lady Rohan over her. "'Howbeit it will be a wondrous thing "'to be your brother-in-law as well as in arms.' "'Tedric grinned companionably, "'but before he could reply they had to separate and go to work the king did not rest long the heralds called tedric in before half his job was done what think'st you tedric should be next phagon asked first punished devos sire tedric snarled backtrack them storm high pass if defended raise half the steps with sword and torch drive them the full length of their country and into northern sound "'Interesting, my impetuous young blade, but not at all practical,' Fagon countered. "'Hast considered the matter of time, the avalanches of rocks doubtless set up and ready to sweep those narrow paths, "'what Tagod would be doing while we cavort through the wastelands?' Cedric deflated almost instantaneously. "'Nay, sire,' he admitted sheepishly. "'I thought not of any such.' "'Tis the trouble with you. You know not how to think. "'Fagon was deadly serious now. "'Tis a hard thing to learn, impossible for many, "'but learn it you must, if you end not as Hurlow ended. "'Also take heed. Disobey my orders but once, as Hurlow did.' And you hang in chains from the highest battlement of your own castle, Middlemarch, until your bones rot apart and drop into the lake. His monarch's vicious threat, or rather promise, left Tedric completely unmoved. 'Tis what I would deserve, sire, or less, but no fear of that. Stupid I may be, but disloyal. Nay, sire. Your word has always been and always will be my law. Not stupid, Tedric, but lacking in judgment, which is not as bad, since the condition is, if you care enough to make it so, remediable. You must care enough, Tedric. You must learn, and quickly, for much more than your own life is at hazard. The younger man stared questioningly, and the king went on my life the lives of my family and the future of all lomar he said quietly in that case sire wilt learn and quickly tedric declared and as days and weeks went by he did all previous attempts on the city of sarlo were made in what seemed to be the only feasible way crossing the Tagula at the lower ford. Going down its north bank through the gorge to the west branch, and down that to the Sarlo. Fagon was lecturing from a large map using a sharp stick as pointer. Tedrick, Skyro, Schillen, and two or three other high ranking officers were watching and listening. The West Branch flows into Sarlo only forty miles above Sarlo Bay. The city of Sarlo is here, on the north bank of the Sarlo River right at the bay, and is five-sixths surrounded by water. The Sarlo River is wide and deep, uncrossable against any real opposition. Thus, Sarlonian strategy has always been not to make any strong stand anywhere along the West Branch, but to fight delaying actions merely, making the real stand on the north bank of the Sarlo, only a few miles from Sarlo City itself. The Sarlo River, gentlemen, is well called Sarlo's Shield. It has never been crossed. "'How do you expect to cross it, then, sire?' Shillin asked. "'Strictly speaking, we cross it not, but float down it. "'We cross the Tagula at Upper Ford, not lower.' "'Upper Ford, sire? "'Above the terrible gorge of the low Umpassers yea that gorge undefended is passable tis rugged but passage can be made once through the gorge our way to the lake of the spiders from which springs the middle branch of the sarlo is clear and open but tis hell sire that middle valley is impassable for troops a grizzled captain protested we traverse it none the less on rafts at six or seven miles an hour, faster by far than any army can march. But tis enough of explanation. Lord Skyro, attend. I listen, sire. At earliest dawn take two sentries of axemen and one sentry of bowmen, with the wagon-load of woodworkers' supplies about which some of you have wondered. Strike straight north at forced march. Cross the Tagula straight north again to the lake of the spiders and the head of the middle branch build rafts large enough and of sufficient number to bear our whole force strong enough to stand rough usage the rafts should be done or nearly by the time we get there i hear sire and i obey tedric almost stunned by the novelty and audacity of this The first amphibian operation in the history of his world was dubious but willing. And as the map of that operation spread itself in his mind, he grew enthusiastic. We attack, then, not from the south, but from the northeast. Aye, and on solid ground, not across deep water. But to bed, gentlemen, tomorrow the clarions sound before dawn dawn came skyro and his force struck out the main army marched away up the north bank of the upper midvale which for thirty or forty miles flowed almost directly from the northeast there however it circled sharply to flow from the southeast and the Lamarians left it continuing their march across undulating foothills straight for upper ford from the south the approach to this ford, lying just above, east of, the low Umpasar Mountains, at the point where the middle marches mounted a stiff but not abrupt gradient to become the upper marches, was not too difficult. Nor was the entrapment of most of the Sarlonians and barbarians on watch. The stream, while only knee-deep for the most part, was wide, fast, and rough. The bottom was made up in toto of rounded, mossy, extremely slippery rocks. There were enough men and horses in lines, however, so that the crossing was made without loss. Then, turning three quarters of a circle, the cavalcade made slow way back down the river along its north bank toward the forbidding gorge of the Low Umpassers. The north bank was different, vastly different from the south one. Mountains of bare rock, incredible thousands of feet higher than the plateau forming the south bank, towered at the rushing torrent's very edge. What passed for a road was narrow, steep, full of hairpin turns, and fearfully rugged. But this, too, was passed, by dint of what labor and stress it is not necessary to dwell upon, and as the army debouched out into the sparsely wooded, gullied, and eroded terrain of the high barren valley, and began to make camp for the night, Tedric became deeply concerned. Skyro's small force would have left no obvious or lasting traces of its passing. But such blatant disfigurements as these... He glanced at the king, then stared back at the broad, trampled, deep-rutted way the army had come south of the river our tracks do not matter he said flatly in the gorge they exist not but those traces sire matter greatly and are not to be covered or concealed tedric i approve of you you begin to think much to the younger man's surprise Fagon smiled broadly how wouldst handle the thing if decision yours a couple of fives of bowmen to camp here or nearby, sire, Tedric replied promptly, to put arrows through any who come to spy. Tis a sound idea, but not enough by half. Here I leave you and a full sentry each of our best scouts and hunters. See to it, my lord captain, that none sees this, our trail from here to the Lake of the Spiders, or having seen it, lives to tell of the seeing. Tedrick, after selecting his sharpshooters and watching them melt invisibly into the landscape, went down the valley about a mile and hid himself carefully in a cave. These men knew the business in hand a lot better than he did, and he would not interfere. What he was for was to take command in an emergency. If the operation were a complete success, he would have nothing whatever to do. He was still in the cave days later when word came that the launching had begun. Rounding up his guerrillas, he led them at a fast pace to the Lake of the Spiders, around it, and to the place where the Lomarian army had been encamped. Four fifty-man rafts were waiting, and Tedric noticed with surprise that a sort of house had been built on the one lying farthest downstream. This luxury, he learned, was for him and his squire Raleon and their horses and armor. The middle branch was wide and swift, and to Tedric and his bowmen, landlubbers all, it was terrifyingly rough and boisterous and full of rocks. Tedric, however, did not stay a landlubber long. He was not the type to sit in idleness when there was something physical to do, something new to learn. And learning to be a riverman was so much easier than learning to be King Fagon's idea of a strategist thus stripped to clout and moccasins tedric revelled in pitting his strength and speed at steering oar or pole against the raft's mass and the river's whim a good man him the boss boatman remarked to one of his mates then later to tedric himself tis shame lord that you got to work at this lord business wouldst make a damn good riverman in time my thanks sir and twould be more fun but King Phagon knows best. But this bend you talk of, what is it? "'Tis where this middle branch turns a square angle against solid rock to flow west into the sarlow, the roughest, wickedest bit of water anybody ever tried to run a raft over. Can't try it with me, if you like. T'would please me greatly to try. "'Well, short of the bend,' Each raft was snubbed to the shore and unloaded. When the first one was bare, the boss riverman and a score of his best men stepped aboard. So did Tedric. What folly is this? Fagon yelled. Tedric, ashore. Canst swim, Lord Tedric? the boss asked. Like an eel, Tedric admitted modestly, and the riverman turned to the king. "'We'll save you rafts, sire, if he works with us. "'He's quick as a cat and strong as a bull, "'and knows more of white water already than half my men.' "'In that case,' Fagon waved his hand and the first raft took off. "'Many of the rafts were lost, of course, "'and Tedric had to swim in icy water more than once, "'but he loved every exhausting, exciting second of the time.' Nor were the broken logs of the wrecked rafts allowed to drift down the river as tell-tales. Each bit was hauled carefully ashore. Below the bend, the middle branch was wide and deep; hence, the reloaded rafts had smooth sailing, and the Sarlo itself was, of course, wider and deeper still. In fact, it would have been easily navigable by an eighty-thousand-ton modern liner. The only care now was to avoid discovery which matter was attended to by several sentries of far-ranging scouts and by scores of rivermen in commandeered boats. Moila's landing, the predetermined point of debarkation, was a scant fifteen miles from the city of Sarlo. It was scarcely a hamlet, but even so, any one of its inhabitants could have given the alarm. Hence it was surrounded by an advanced force of bowmen and spearmen and before those soldiers set out Fagon voiced the orders. He was to repeat so often during the following hectic days No burning and no wanton killing None must know we come but none the less Sarlon is to be a province of Lomar my kingdom and I will not have its people or its substance destroyed to that end i swear by my royal head by the throne by great losir's heart and brain and liver that any man of whatever rank who slays or burns without my express permission will be flayed alive and then boiled in oil hence the taking of moila's landing was very quiet and its people were held under close guard all that day and all the following night the army rested. Phagon was pretty sure that Tegod knew nothing of the invasion as yet, but it would be idle to hope to get much closer without being discovered. Every mile gained, however, would be worth a century of men. Therefore, long before dawn, the supremely ready Lomarian forces rolled over the screening bluff and marched steadily towards Sarlo not fast note thirteen miles is a long haul when there is to be a full-scale battle at the end of it plodding slowly along on mighty Dragar at the king's right tedric roused himself from a brown study and gathering his forces visibly spoke knowest i love the lady roan sire ay no secret that nor has been since the fall of sarpedion "'Hast permission, then, to ask her to be my wife, once back in Lompar? Mayst ask her sooner than that, if you like. "'Wilt be here to-morrow, with the family, the court, "'and an image of great Losir, for the triumph.' "'Tedric's mouth dropped open. "'But, sire,' he managed finally, "'how couldst be that sure of success? "'The armies are too evenly matched. "'In seeming only.' They have no body of horse or foot able to stand against my royal guard. They have nothing to cope with you and Skyro and your armor and weapons. Therefore, I have been and am certain of Lomar's success. Well-planned and well-executed ventures do not fail. This has been long in the planning, but only your discovery of the god medal made it possible for execution then as tedric glanced involuntarily at his gold-plated armor yea the overlay made it possible for me to live although i may die this day being the center of attack and being weaker and of lesser endurance than i thought but my life matters not beside the good of lomar a king's life is of import only to himself to his family, and to a few, would be surprised to learn how very few, real friends. Your life matters to me, sire, and to Skyro. Aye, Tedric, my almost son, that I know. Art in the forefront of those few I spoke of. And take this not too seriously, for I expect fully to live. But in case I die, remember this, kings come and kings go. BUT AS LONG AS IT HOLDS THE LOYALTY OF SUCH AS YOU AND SCYRO AND YOUR KIND, THE THRONE OF LOMAR ENDURES. TAGAD OF SARLORN WAS NOT TAKEN COMPLETELY BY SURPRISE. HOWEVER, HE HAD LITTLE ENOUGH WARNING, AND SO VIOLENT AND HASTY WAS HIS MOBILIZATION, THAT THE SARLONIANS WERE LITTLE IF ANY FRESHER THAN THE LOMARIANS WHEN THEY MET A COUPLE OF MILES OUTSIDE THE CITY'S LIMIT. There is no need to describe in detail the arrangement of the sentries and the legions, nor to dwell at length upon the bloodiness and savagery of the conflict as a whole, nor to pick out individual deeds of daring-do, of heroism, or of cowardice. Of prime interest here is the climactic charge of Lomar's heavy horse, the royal guard that ended it. There was little enough of finesse in that terrific charge. Led by glittering Fagon and his two alloy-clad lords, the best their Middlemarch horses could do in the way of speed was a lumbering canter. But their tremendous masses—a Middlemarch warhorse was not considered worth saving unless he weighed at least one long ton added to the weight of man and armor each bore—gave them momentum starkly irresistible. Into and through the ranks of Sarlonian armor the Knights of Lomar's old blood crashed Each rising in his stirrups and swinging down with all his might with sword or axe or hammer Upon whatever luckless white was nearest at hand Then reforming a backward smash then another drive forward But men were being unhorsed horses were being hamstrung or killed of a sudden king phagon himself went down unhorsed but not out his god metal axe scarcely stoppable by iron was taking heavy toll as at signal every mounted guardsman left his saddle as one and every guardsman who could move drove toward the flashing golden figure of his king where now sire tedric yelled above the clang of iron "'Tagad's Pavilion, of course. Where else?' Fagon yelled back. "'Guardsmen! To me!' Tedric roared. "'Make Wedge, as you did at Sarpedion's temple.' And the knights who could not hear him were made by signs to understand what was required. "'To that purple tent we ram Fagon our king. "'Elbows in, sire. Short thrusts only and never mind your legs. Now, men, drive! With three giants in impregnable armor at point, Tedric and Scyro were so close beside and behind the king as almost to be one with him. That flying wedge simply could not be stopped. In little over a minute, it reached the pavilion and its terribly surprised owner. Golden tigers seemed to leap and creep, as the lustrous silk of the tent rippled in the breeze, magnificent golden tigers adorned the Sarlonians' purple enameled armor. "'Yield, Tagad of Sarlon, or die!' Fagon shouted. "'If I yield, O Fagon of Lomar, what—' Tagad began a conciliatory speech, but even while speaking, he whirled a long and heavy sword out from behind him, leaped and struck so fast that neither phagon nor either of his lords had time to move so viciously hard that had lomar's monarch been wearing anything but super steel he would have joined his fathers then and there as it was however the fierce driven heavy blade twisted bent double and broke phagon's counterstroke was automatic his axe swung with all his strength and speed Crashed to the helve through iron and bone and brain, and as soon as the heralds with their clarions could spread the news that Fagon had killed Tagod in hand-to-hand combat, all fighting ceased. Captain Skyro, kneel. With the flat of his sword, Fagon struck the steel-clad back a ringing blow. Rise, Lord Skyro of Sarlorn. So be it. Skandos One murmured gently, and took up the life and the work of Skandos Four. Ultimate catastrophe was five hundred twenty nine years away. End of Lord Tetrick by E. E. Smith. This recording by Phil Chenever. Thank you for listening.